You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. Uh, The reason why we're reading this passage today is uh, we're closing up a series on uh, the Sabbath, um, and the Sabbath uh, is a challenging word to talk about because it's really big. It... um, in the Bible, if you see the word Sabbath, what the Bible is basically saying is Jesus. <laughs> I mean, how can you encapsulate the person, the work of Jesus is, is the Sabbath. No one experiences the Sabbath outside of Jesus, and nobody has Jesus without that perfect rest and fulfillment. The Sabbath is also, in the Old Testament, like the promised land. It's the perfect place with the milk and the honey where everything is right. Everything is in its right place. The place that we yearn for sometimes late at night on Amazon.com where we're trying to buy the new pair of slippers or the new bathrobe. We're just trying to find rest, aren't we? And so that's the promise. Hebrews says you can't actually buy it. You have to enter it with faith. It's also a practice because you could be a workaholic for Jesus. <laughs> you, could, uh, you could think that the work's not done, and so you have to finish his work. And it's hard to really put a box around that. Are you working hard? Does that mean like you're moving slower or faster? How many hours a week do you work before it's striving versus resting? I don't know, but it's a practice. There's a way to do it wrong, clearly, because Jesus correct us. And then finally, I think that all of that really is to invite us, not just to, as we talked about Timothy, Timothy mentioned, not just to agree with the Sabbath, but to believe it. And, and to not practice it just for a day, but to practice it as a posture for every day. I think that's what Psalm 23 is. Is it's an invitation not just to clock out of work or get a plane ticket or make another daiquiri or whatever it is that you delight in, Uh, to practice the Sabbath, but to actually walk in the posture of a different kind of a life, a different kind of position with the God of the universe and the people around you and with the person you see in the mirror. That's the goal of the Sabbath. That's what the practice would be for. Why would we go off and practice our foul shots like to be the best foul shooter when no one else is around, but to be in the game, to practice so, so we'd have the posture during our everyday life, not just Saturday, but Monday and every other day. And so uh, uh, I was probably about eight years old, and um, I'm sitting there, and I don't know what your policy was um, at home when you didn't eat your vegetables. My dad's policy was called, I don't know, drill sergeant. I don't know what you would call the policy, but it was tough. And so the answer was, you don't leave until you eat the, the, the vegetables, okay? So I remember this one particular time, I remember in Hong Kong, and there's all sorts of foods you didn't pronounce and never seen before, this thing called kanji. You ever had Chinese porridge before? It's pretty boring, pretty mushy. Some of you guys are like, I'm not eating that. I'm just calling off work the next day. I'm not leaving the table. And so he sat me down there, and all my little cousins and all my little uncles and everything was up, and it's just me and a 16-chair table and my stubbornness in front of this porridge, and I'm like, I'm not eating the kanji, Dad. I told him. And so I'm sitting there, I mean, hour one, (laughs) hour two, I'm like dozing off. And I've convinced myself that, you know, this is child abuse, you know, and I'm telling him, I'm like, Dad, like, I can't, it's, I'm allergic, like, I get acid reflux, like, I, and then I'm the placebo, it's like, I'm really creating this entire reality, until my Uncle Pete comes down. Do you guys know Uncle Pete? I talk about Uncle Pete sometimes, uh, just awesome Christian man and, and missionary to China and that kind of thing. He sits down, can't see, he's blind. Oliver. He goes like this, and I'm eight years old. He goes, um, you know, I think that this has been too hard, and you've been here for too long. He goes, me and Kevin, Kevin's my cousin, we're just going to go to McDonald's down the street. We'll just have a sausage McMuffin with egg, and we just go down there. And uh, 
and I'm listening to him, and my disposition is changing, and even my attitude and my chest is changing. And I'm like, you know what, Uncle Peter? That sounds like a great plan. I think I'm going with you and Kevin, and we're going down to McDonald's. And then, you guys probably saw this coming, he did the old bait and switch, and he says, well, if you have enough appetite for McDonald's, you should better eat your kanji too. And that was the end of that. He just juked me like Miyagi on that thing. Yeah. It was probably one of the, the most um, real-life, you know, personal interactions, the first interactions that I ever had with um, energy level being relative to the activity we're doing. Like, like have you ever seen a kid on Christmas morning compared to a kid waking up to go to school? You're looking at two different kids. The ability of a kid to wake up bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, great, ready to go for Christmas is uncannily different and distinct from what, I mean, they genuinely cannot move. They are in sense of paralysis at six o'clock in the morning when it's time to go to school, but it's time to Christmas. They're up and ready to go. You ever notice how activity is relative to energy and, re- and energy is relative to, to activity? He used to have a, a job at the Gap and here's a pecking order. You gotta be, I mean, there's, there's lame and then there's cool and so you gotta do your time at the Gap. And so I was not the cool kid. So at, at the, my first job at the Gap, I was up at the front of the store at the Gap in the mall, and my job was just to say, welcome to the Gap, bro, like 180,000 times. And I just could not have hated that job any more than I did. I want to crawl, like, you know, pull my eyeballs out of my skull. Now, I also worked at Starbucks, which some of you guys are baristas, and that was a fantastic job. It was busy, it was moving. Have you guys ever realized that there are some jobs, based on the activity, that time is crawling, and some jobs where time is flying? And that's the funny thing about energy, is that energy is relative to the activity. Some, you know, depending on what kind of mood you're in, you know, uh, chores could be, you know, exciting for you. Sometimes you're excited about doing things and, you know, doing laundry and full laundry. Sometimes not. Sometimes you'd be excited to mow the lawn, get the lines, get the meditation going when you're 14 years old. That is not what you're trying to do. You're not trying to mow the lawn because energy is dependent on, on activity. And if you dug a little bit deeper into it, I think that we would find, you know, a thesis there is that energy really has more to do, even more than activity, it has to do, more, energy has to do with alignment. Energy has to do with um, is the how of the thing that I'm doing lining up with the what I actually want to do, and is the what actually lining up with the why? There are some of you in the room today um, that are so discouraged, you have hit a wall so many times in this one area of life that you're wondering if any of this even matters. And that's exhausting. You're sitting there, and you have enough vacation time, and you have enough money, and you have enough stuff in your cabinet, in your pantry, but you're exhausted because your how doesn't line up with your what, and your what doesn't line up with, with your why. There's also a point when, when, when you see somebody, and either because of something they say or something they do, it's not because things are working out or because they're winning at everything, because they seem like they're doing something that matters, that it inspires you, and all of a sudden, how many of you guys know you could be lacking in sleep and lacking in food, and when you're doing something on purpose that matters, all of a sudden you have tons of energy that you would have been missing a minute ago. If you're discouraged, everything's too hard. And if you're inspired, everything is easy. So energy has to be measured, not really necessarily just by sleep, physical sleep or whatever, or physical food, but also really the soul is where energy comes from. And energy is dependent on activity, but even deeper than activity, it comes from alignment, I would argue. So when you're looking at the practice and the posture of Jesus, you know, it's a paradox. Because here's the guy, Jesus, he says, you're going to find rest in my yoke, and my yoke is easy and light. But then he goes on and lives about the hardest life you could ever live. Has anyone ever, like, scratched the surface, like, ever, like, raised their hand? Jesus, your life doesn't seem that easy. 
right? You said you had an easy yoke, but your brothers hated you. You got chased around, ready to be killed off the side of cliffs all day long, and then you went to the cross at 33. Does not seem like a very easy life. And then you get into it a little bit deeper, and there's really no formula to his life. He's up at 3 a.m. talking to Nicodemus. He doesn't have some Google calendar blocking alert saying, like, bro, I'm on my Sabbath. I can't talk to you. He's, he's asleep in the boat, but he's bleeding in the garden, awake praying. There's a funny passage. You ever read this before? Right before he goes to talk, famous passage, he goes to talk to the woman at the well. Disciples are gone. You remember why the disciples are gone? They're going to get him food because he's hungry. You know what he says when, when they get back? Hey, we brought all the, you know, churros or whatever they got them. You know, we got the, we had the taco truck, brought you all the food. You know what he says? Actually, I'm full now. My, my job's, my, my bread is to eat, uh, is to do the will of the Father. I already ate. I had my meal. I mean, the time, you know, both times, 4,000, 5,000 people. The, the disciples are barking at them. They're, 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 they're fussing at them. You know why? Because they're supposed to be on vacation. He's feeding the four and 5,000 people in the wilderness. It's supposed to be a vacation. There's no formula. There's no formula. There's no box. There's no plan, right? There's just a yoke. There's just a posture that Jesus walks in. He's never working for the weekend. He's never trying to get through this to get there. Do you notice that? He's never saying, if I could just get through this, I'll get to there because he's always right here with his father. That's what rest is. So rest is a person, but it's also a promise. It's also a practice, but the practice is not to escape and get out of something, but to engage fully, to, to engage in a posture. So this is the three different, I think, orbits that I would see in Jesus' life and what he's talking about and what he's doing. The posture of rest is this, that one, that God is my father. Two, I'm a son in his family. I'm a daughter in his family. And three, I have not been overwhelmed, but the spirit inside me has overcome the world. This is where rest lives. John 4, this is the one I mentioned earlier. Verse 34, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of the one who sent me. What does Jesus call rest? What does Jesus call Sabbath? Is it a vacation? Is it a hammock? Is it an eno? Jesus calls Sabbath the posture of a life before the Father. That's where it is, and it's nowhere else. Jesus calls Sabbath Matthew 6, 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food or body more important than clothes? Verse 26, look at the birds of the air, and don't they sow or reap or store away in barns, yet their heavenly Father feeds them. What is, what is Sabbath? What is Sabbath? Is it a bike ride on the Swamp Rabbit Trail? I mean, maybe, but not without the posture of being fed, not without the posture of every good gift coming from the hand of a Father that sees me. Finally, John 16 Time's coming, you're going to get scattered, verse 33. But I've told you these things so that you may have peace, peace, real peace, real rest. In this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart, your peace is not dependent on the trouble. Your peace is dependent on my victory. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus is calling us to the carpet on this, on this thing. And he's telling us the truth, and I think he's more right than we are. And he's, this is what I think he's saying. I think what he's saying is that our stress has less to do with busyness and more to do with fear. The real reason why you and me are restless, you look at the cars and the stuff that we have and all the friendships and stuff, but yet we still have cause for reason, you know, worry and concern. He's calling us on that, you know. And the reason why we have so much stress is not because of the employees and the people we work for and the people we work for. You know, we're, we're stressed. is because we think we're abandoned. We think we're fatherless. That's the reason. The reason why we are not having rest is not because our practice is wrong, because our posture is out, out of alignment. He's saying the reason why you're stressed and not having rest is because you think you're rejected. In a room full of people, the people that smile at you and like you, you don't think that they really love you. 
and you're all alone, aren't you? Because there's something wrong with you, and there's something weird about you, and there's something inadequate about you. At the end of the day, push comes to shove, they're not going to be for you. And so no matter how much you have in your wallet, in your back pocket, or how much cryptocurrency you have, that's not going to fix the problem you feel alone. And a posture of alonement and abandonment and inadequacy is never going to lead to rest. And it doesn't matter how much stuff that we have if we don't have the posture of the son and the daughter before the father. And I think that's what he's inviting us to in the practice and the posture of rest. So here's what my plan is today, is to read through Psalm 23. And I think that my goal, my invitation to us, is not just to read and agree, but to listen and believe it. The Psalms that we read are hard sometimes to bring home because there's some guy running around the field getting chased by a crazy man. But you're getting chased too, and you have enemies too. And you have a father who loves you too. And so what I want to do today is almost a little bit more of an activation. I figured there'd be less people in the room. We might be able to take a swing at this because you'll remember what 80% of things you say versus the 20% that I say. But we're not just going to read today, but we're also going to share. We're going to spend 60 seconds around each three little chunks of the passage. I'll ask an intentional question. Just turn to the person that you came with or process, I guess, in your journal and just answer the one of the three questions. And then today, I want to pray together. And I think that's how you go to the chiropractor. I think that's how you come into the posture of rest because I don't think the rest has so much to do with our stress and our busyness, but it has to do with our fear and our disalignment, our unalignment to who we are in Christ and who he is to us. And so, as you guys know, in Psalm 23, this is a psalm that is not about so much a father and a son, but a psalm with a different metaphor of the same, I think, uh, posture, and that is the sheep and the shepherds. Some of you guys are familiar, and we obviously read it a moment ago. But again, I'm going to read through it. We're going to take a minute to share at each little breaking point, and then we're going to pray together as a church. And may we leave this room not knowing more in our head, but being more humble in our heart. And even now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would leave, that we would cause us to leave this place with more rest than we came, it, came into it. Lord, that we would experience a posture change, a yoke exchange, our yoke for yours. And Lord, that we would move out of that fear, that abandonment, Lord, but into a place of, of sonship um, and a sheep in your, in your field. So here it is, uh, Psalm 23. As Carmen read earlier, the Lord is my shepherd, says David. He knows a lot about being a shepherd. He is one. He says, because of that, I lack nothing. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside quiet waters. You know what the, the writing between the lines there is? Sheep lie down when they've already eaten. So the writing between the lines there is, not only is there enough for the sheep to be full, but there's so much that there's pasture around them, and he just sleeps in it. Not only the God of enough, but the God of more than enough. By quiet waters, by green pasture, he refreshes not just my body, but my soul, my soul. He guides me along the right paths, and look at this. It's like he puts his name on it. It's like, if I'm known for anything, let it be that I'm known that I take care of my sheep. I'm putting my reputation on the line with your care, is what the shepherd says. So if you had heard about this, you know, psalm before, what you've heard about these sons teaching, is like, I think probably the more appropriate word or superlative to put on sheep is not necessarily that they're dumb, but they're dependent. They're pretty smart animals, right? But the nature of the relationship is, I need my shepherd to survive for correction, for direction, for provision, for protection, all these types of things I need. It's not just I want, is I need my shepherd. I'm helpless without him. And so the sheep's livelihood, I think that's the basis of the metaphor, the simple analogy is that the sheep needs to be close to the shepherd. And in a sense, David, being a shepherd himself in his profession, is writing a psalm to the church of all ages, I suppose, to tell us that 
just like a sheep in the metaphor, that we, too, are in the care of another. That deep down inside, we think our prayers are hitting the ceiling. We think that we are all alone, and that we're in a, in a dead-end situation where we have to fight for ourselves and protect ourselves and guide ourselves. and if we miss a step or slip a step, that we're going to be lost forever. And what, what, what we are using this analogy for, what David is saying, is that as a sheep in his pasture, you are being cared for. You are, you are, um, you are in the care of another. I want to show you guys um, a shoe uh, that uh, we got lots of shoes in our house because um, we have lots of feet in our house and lots of kids. Uh, this is Ollie's Sonic the Hedgehog shoe. And, uh, you know, it's not really made to be a Sonic the Hedgehog shoe, but um, you wouldn't know the difference. It does say fashion on the back. So this is probably made in Taiwan or something. And you know what? You know, and little known to them, it probably blew up as a store because I don't think anybody makes this like this in America. So we ordered this online. Can't see it from the back. Very furry, very Santa Claus looking, very elfy, you know. And he loves these shoes. And uh, these are his, his Sonic the Hedgehog shoes. And I'll tell you, um, when you go through your stuff and you got to purge your stuff when you turn 30 and 40, one of the hardest things to throw away is kids' shoes. I don't know if you feel, I feel this way. I, you know, I don't get too sentimental, but I can't throw away the kids' shoes because their little feet are in them, you know? And, and they, represent, they represent where the kid went. You know, what is it about Forrest Gump? It's like you could tell a lot about a person by their shoes, where they're going, where they come from. You know, like, like it tells the story. It tells a story of, of, of their successes and their failures and their trials. It, 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 it reminds you of where they were in the first grade and the second grade, like the little steps that they went, the danger that they walked through, the, the good times, the bad times. Like the, the shoe tells the story in, in a lot of ways. And, um, and, and when, you, when you see, you know, their, their little shoes in that box or, or on the floor when you're like tripping over them, you know, you're, you're reminded of how much as a parent you would work and save and do whatever it took to make sure that their feet were covered. I mean, moms in the room, is the last thing you want to send your kids to school with is without shoes. You wouldn't want to send your kids without shoes. And this is, I think, the idea is like we grow up, but we don't grow out of being a sheep. The shoes on your feet, God looks at the same way. He wants to, he wants to what does Ephesians say? He wants to gird your feet, right, with the peace of the gospel. He wants to send you, not let you get abandoned, we think we grow up. We would never go out. We, it's like if you go and look at, at the stuff in your fridge, it says in, in Psalm 23 that that stuff has been put there by a loving father. It has been put there and hand-selected by the, by, the, by the gift of a loving father, and you're in the care of another. And then, for that matter, all the stuff, you the car and the job and all that stuff, that's not happenstance. That's care. That's you being cared for and covered by another to be a sheep from the shepherd. So here's, I think, the first posture change. The, fir the first posture change when it comes to the posture of rest, like the task lists are not going to die down. The politics are not going to die down. The economy's not dying down. The posture, the posture is where the rest is found. And so this is the deal. If I'm shepherd-fed, then I'm not, not self-fed. I'm not a self-fed person. That's, where, that's the reason why my rest is discontented is because somehow I believe I've grown out of being a sheep and I think I feed myself. I think I earn rather than being fed. I think I'm paid and not fed. And you might have gone to Publix, and you might have a debit card, but you don't feed yourself. And it's good to be a shepherd and, and to know. And so here's what I think the posture changes if I'm fed. If I'm fed, it, this is the truth, is that if I, if I really want it, then it's been given to me. And if it's not been given to me, then I don't really want it. 
I think that the invitation of being a sheep with the shepherd is to know that I lack no good thing. That anything that I need, I have. Anything I don't have, I don't need right now. Because I can trust that if it's based on his name and reputation, that he's going to give me everything that I need. So here's my question for you as you share to somebody next to you. For 60 seconds, 30 and 30, with the person you're talking to, I want you to testify. I want you to remember. I want you to not just agree but believe with me that you have a shepherd. You have a good shepherd. His name is Jesus. And I want you to share with somebody near you, how has God been a shepherd to you? Okay, 60 seconds, um, and I'm going to pray for us in just a moment. Turn to somebody next to you and share, how has God been a good shepherd to you? All right, sorry if I introduced, uh, interrupted the second person. I did a quick little review of things that happen in your sleep. They just happen in your sleep, which is so awesome. Based on this psalm, number one, your brain actually processes problems in your sleep without you even knowing it. Number two, there is uh, important hormones that are released in your sleep that represent your chemical balances. Your nervous system relaxes in your sleep without you even giving it permission to do so. Your cortisol levels, which I don't even know what that does, but that improves in your sleep. Your muscles are actually placed in this a, in a, a place of like, immovability, like lack of motion, so you don't wake yourself up based on dream reactions. Uh, the Lord actually causes your body not to pee in your sleep, which is crazy. Just all the little details, for his name's sake. <laughs> and also for the dying down of your inflammation, like releasing things that have become swollen based on in injuries or whatever else. Inflammation is handed, handled in your sleep because if, if we really need it, he gives it to us. And if he's given it to us or hasn't given it to us, then we don't really need it. And so let's just pray just for a moment as we respond to that passage. But um, I thank you, Lord, for, Lord, your good care in our sleeping. I thank you, you hem us in. We so desperately want to define our own destiny, but we're sheep. And we thank you, God, that you are leading us in and out. We thank you that you've known us by name and that you wouldn't be happy with a count of 99 if you had 100 on your roster. I thank you that you've cared for each one of these sheep when they were agreeing with you and when they were being rebellious to you. I thank you that you are tender with us. I thank you that you are a good shepherd. And so I, um, I ask, Lord Jesus, that, um, that you would give us a sense of rest, that you would fill us with your spirit today, um, knowing that that's the best gift that we could have. I thank you that even in our sleep, you're working out our salvation. 
that you are bringing sins even to the altar. You're bringing repentance closer and closer to our hearts and our minds. And Lord, we are nearer to you today than ever before because we have a good shepherd. And I thank you that you're feeding us in that way. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. All right, our second chunk, three simple lines. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, says David, I will fear no evil for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When I was a kid uh, in Albany, New York, there was this place, I don't even know if it's past OSHA anymore, called the Albany Indoor Rock Gym. And so it's an indoor rock climbing thing, and you'd climb up, and you get the little, like, harnesses thing, and they teach you about belay and belay on and everything. But what made this place special is that inside the walls, there was, like, little, cate- there's little caves that you can, like, crawl up into that go all the way up and down the walls, like, literally inside the drywall of this thing, so that you and your birthday party could, like, go, go climb in and be in there for, like, an hour. Doesn't that sound awful? It was awful. And basically, I, I think that the whole thing, it really had one brand name. It was one thing that made the whole thing work and go in motion. You know what the word was? Chicken. Because basically, you would go there, and your buddy would be like, are you, you going to go into the spelunking cave? And you'd be like, no, I don't really feel like it. And he'd be like, well, you're a chicken. And he'd be like, well, don't you dare say that to me. And then you'd be up in the walls just like everybody else. No kidding. No kidding. There would be some pathways that would get super, super narrow, and then they would end. And then you'd have five people behind you like, back it up. And they'd be like, what? And you'd be like, back it up. And they'd be like pushing you to be more. You'd be like, back it up or I'll set this place on fire, you know. <laughs> but sometimes it would get narrow enough that you could actually squeak through it and get to the other side. And so you never really know. You got to always go. Can't see a thing. Pitch black, Price. It was awful. One kid literally peed himself, literally peed himself in the middle of this thing. We were there and the lady has to hit it with the broom. Like, can you hear my tapping? Can you hear my tapping? And they had to come out with a drill and undo the sides of the panel so they can get out of it. This place isn't, that's why I think it's closed down. It probably doesn't exist anymore. The, the misinterpretation sometimes of the rod and the staff is like, you know, um, that the rod is like the bad guy and the staff is the good guy. You know, like it's the carrots and the stick. Actually, the more accurate way to think about it is that picture thing on the screen there is that the rods are really more for the enemies than it is the sheep. Like for the most part, you're nudging the sheep along the path But the more corrective tool would be the first one, which is the staff. The staff would kind of get around the neck of the sheep because, you know, sheep are going to go eat this poison and all this kind of stuff or go off and wander off a cliff somewhere. And 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 the hook would kind of pull you back in, but the rod was really to protect you from your enemies. You're thankful that there's like unseen world out there of battles right now that the scriptures are saying are raging against us. And sometimes we don't even see the tip of the spear of that because God's already protected us without our even acknowledgement of that thing. That he's protected us with his, with his rod and with his staff, right? And so what does that look like on, on a day-to-day life or, or day-to-day, day-to-day you know, walk is um, have you ever been thankful before that you're headed in a direction and God preserves you from going too far in that direction and it's not your will and not your way and not what you wanted, but the Lord ends up correcting somebody beside you and you learn their lesson instead of yours. That he protects us from our enemies. You guys have been in situations before where you are being the shepherd. You are trying to be your own shepherd and you are carrying the weight of that shepherd. And that, and that kind of discipline, that correction begins to come to you as a weight on your shoulders that you can palpably feel on your neck until you come to the altar and you say, Lord, this is too much for me. And, 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 and he takes it off your shoulders. I think that's the rod. I think that's what the rod of the shepherd is like is that he is not satisfied with a sheep that is in danger. He is not going to put, his namesake is on the safety of your life, and he's not going to settle for an unsafe life for you. And so he is not going to spare your pain 
or really anything else in order to keep you safe. What would the staff look like? Have you ever gone before in a season where the inspiration of a worship song that meant so much to you in one year falls flat on you the next? That your taste bud begins to change for an old thing. But as you look back into your journal, it would take maybe two years or three years to realize that really he wasn't trying to say goodbye to something that's good for no reason, but he's trying to open you up for something that you are supposed to be ready for in the new season, that your taste buds are changing, that he's redirecting your steps and saying that this thing that used to rely on in your past isn't bad, but it's just not for now, and that he's changing and redirecting your steps towards something different. Maybe you've put too much emphasis on a particular leader or a particular person, and the Lord begins to reveal certain flaws and cracks because all people are imperfect. And he begins to, through that, redirect your eyes from the lowercase shepherd to the capital S shepherd and really put your lot secure. You see, the Lord's guidance is never random. He is deeply involved with everything that's going on in our life. And so the posture change really is that I'm not self-led. And if I'm not self-led, then I'm shepherd-led. And if I'm shepherd-led, I don't want to go where he's not going. And I don't want to be where he's not at. And so whether it's his rod or his staff, I'm grateful that he's involved in every detail of my life. The things I see and the things that I don't see, the things I like and the things that I don't like, I don't want to be where he's not. I want to be with my shepherd. So here's my second question to share with somebody near you. Where have you been tempted to be a superhero rather than a sheep? The superhero wants to name the story, wants to claim the window, wants to define the season, wants to know the answers, wants to know the next steps and the step after that, but that's not what sheep do. Sheep are just aware. They're aware of, the, of where the shepherd is, of the rod and the staff. They're aware and sensitive to his correction and his leading and his peace. And I don't have the answers. I don't know why I don't want to go or am not going this way or why I feel that this would be the obedient step. I'm just trusting beyond my understanding, beyond my sight, I'm going with faith. I don't want to be where he's not. So where are you tempted these days to write your own story, to be your own superhero, and therefore miss your ability to rest as a sheep, your ability to be in the care of another? Share with somebody for 60 seconds, and we'll do some prayer, and I'll close this up with the last passage. So let's uh, do a little prayer together if you join with me. So, um, Lord, um, 
it feels so scary sometimes uh, to move on from six-year-old problems to uh, 50-year-old problems, Lord, um, for every dark valley, Lord, of uh, displacement, uh, for unemployment, um, for the depths of uh, struggle and personal sin, Lord, these places that we feel like if somebody were to find us out, um, we would be cast away, that we would be rejected, Lord. Lord, in these places of, uh, of deep betrayal, Lord, people that, um, Lord, we, um, we put a lot of trust in. Places that um, we thought would be forever are, are, are turning into temporary, just these places of solace and, and, and relationship, Lord. Um, we know that you are with us, and we want to be, um, Lord, where you are. And so I thank you for opening doors that can't be shut by anyone else and closing doors that can't be opened by anyone else. And we praise you for your rod and your staff. We even thank you from Hebrews, Lord, we love the discipline of the Lord. We would rather have the discipline of the Lord than the comforts of the world. We would rather be near our shepherd. We don't want to go anywhere that you're not, Jesus. So Lord, hem us in. Lord, even turn us away uh, from our idols, Lord. And Lord, um, teach us to be sons and daughters. Teach us to just be um, sheep in your pasture. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, this last passage here. You prepare a table, says David, before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my, my cup overflows, and surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord uh, forever. So I was uh, in, my, uh, in my house the other day. I was actually reading this very passage, like kind of getting ready for Sunday, and um, this little fly was just... We have a lot of animals in our house, a lot of doors open, so we can have a lot of black flies from time to time. And I'm telling you, this fly, like I'm a live and let live kind of a person, like I'm not trying to just like mutilate flies, but this fly was on me, like flies on honey or whatever. And so, and it would like land right here on my little iPad and land on my foot, and I was just every time, just, you know, like I'm just on edge, you know, because it's about posture. And uh, this thing landed, I kid you not, I'm reading this very passage today, landed right on my face. And I knew what, what I was doing, and I was thinking to myself, how stupid this action is about to be, 99 out of 100 times. Like stupid to very stupid. But I did it anyways, because this, that's exactly how much I was so frustrated this fly. And I wound up and smacked myself in the face so hard, and the fly was like, <laughs> so mad about that. Still need to forgive that. Um, the anointing of the, y'all looked at this before, the anointing of the oil is to protect the animal's eyes and ears from gnats and flies. And not only because that they're annoying, but because sheep have the propensity of gnats and flies to crawl into the ears and the eyes and the openings of the sheep's head to get inside the head, stir it so crazy that it will literally bang its head up against trees and sometimes kill itself because it has flies inside of its head. So what is the oil doing is not saying that, that sheep are always going to be the company of rest, but the oil is there to make sure that the chaos in the outside doesn't compete with the rest on the inside. That the lies, the flying lies, don't find their way into our head and into our hearts. And so you've seen it before, right? Like one situation can hit a household, a storm, a, a trial, uh, 
a sickness or a disease and cause two very separate reactions in that household between brothers and sisters between spouses based on faith and fear and will build one person up and break the other one down based on whether or not, not that the flies are flying around, but whether the flies get inside your head, get inside your mind, whether or not the lies take root inside of your heart, inside of your head. And so we've been doing this thing called, you know, Sabbath, and we've been asking ourselves, you know, where's the rest? And sometimes I think it can be extra super frustrating to be sitting there on your couch with everything in the world and some little fly is still flying above your head and trying to get into your, to your heart. I think it's really profound what we've just read here in the first verse of Psalm 23 or whatever verse we're in at the very end, sorry, at the very end, where it says, you prepare a table for me. I think that the table is a metaphor for rest. I think it's pretty safe to say that the table is the place where we rest. But notice the location of the table. Once we've identified the table, notice the location. You prepare a table for me, not in the Bahamas, not when everything's going right, not when there aren't flies buzzing around my head, but you've anointed my head and my heart for oil to make a table for me in the middle of enemies. I think what David is saying is that we'll often find times, oftentimes find the rest of the Lord in the last place we'd expect it. That we are not finding our rest actually in the absence of enemies, but in the middle of them. In the middle of our fears, in the middle of our doubts, in the places that were the most raw and hurt and vulnerable, that the Lord, and somehow in his wisdom, based on his namesake, has put our rest in the middle of that, not in the absence of it. Some of you guys know I'm a... Um, middle-aged dad now, you know, and so uh, that used to be uh, a middle school uh, basketball player, right? So I talk about basketball all the time, and uh, so I'm up there at uh, five o'clock in the morning. I'm working out at the sports club, Kyle, and and so I'm supposed to be doing my workout routine. I'm supposed to be, you know, lifting weights or whatever, but I hear that dribbling like doom, 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 and just old guys sweating it up, just sweating, hairy, you know, just like gross middle-aged dudes, and I'm, you know, working on the treadmill, but I'm like, I can't take my eyes off this basketball court. So I'm like, mama didn't raise no chump. So I'm like going right to the table of my enemies. Like I'm going straight in there. And all the things, like I haven't played in a long time, you know, I'm like 40 or whatever. And I'm like probably going to injure myself. But I'm like something about it, like I can't, I can't, I didn't come here to lose, guys. I came here to win. So I go in there and uh, it was full five on five and they were playing for keeps, dude. They were talking trash and all that stuff. And I played two games. You guys want to know what happened? All right, so the first game, I get in there, and I'm ready to black out. I'm so tired. Like, I've never run this hard in so long, you know, and I'm just going more like living in the past. Guys, I hit the game-winning shot at the very end. I was in, like, I, I threw it up, and I was like, that's not going in. And it went in. It was, went so in, and it was so loud. Like, the net was like, sweat. And, uh, and I thought to myself, I was like, what should a person, like, in my position as a pastor do in a, in a situation like this? And I thought to myself, I'll just pretend like I do this all the time. So I pretended like I did it all the time, and it totally worked out, right? <laughs> the very next game, we play the same thing. My legs aren't under me anymore. You know, I'm doing okay. Hitting a few layups, you know what I mean? Like, you know, pushing people around, being 40. And um, guys, I got the ball at the very end. Same thing. Missed a layup. Missed a right-handed, fast break, nobody on me layup for the end of the game. Did I win or did I lose? I don't know. But I guess as I'm getting older, you know, I have enough stuff in my life that I can make myself busy with good things that are painless. I have enough responsibility in my life that I can do a lot of stuff that don't cause me friction, that avoid relational conflict, that avoid complicated, you know, uh, gray things. I have enough on my list, and I go list my thing out on Monday that I have enough to do to totally avoid pain. 
And what I'm learning is, and what I'm learning is, is that based on this passage and just life in general, is that the rest of God um, does not come to us through painlessness. Have you ever been um, holding a secret for so long um, that you can spiritually feel the weightiness of your sin in the dark? And something nudges you. It could be the, the rod or the staff. It could be the provision of the Lord, the guidance of the Lord, the wisdom of something. And you come, and instead of hide your sin, you confess your sin. Have you felt the weight of that on your shoulders lift off of you before? It's not painless, but it's restful. Have you ever um, had an honest conversation? I've, I've learned, you know, like, how are you at confrontation? Like, I'm not sure if I like the word confrontation as much as just honesty. I don't want to share with you a level eight of good news, but hold back and, and have a level two of confrontation with you. Like, I don't want to withhold honesty from you. If I'm good enough to share a level eight good news, then I should be able to share a level eight bad news with you. And if I'm not living that way, I can't have rest. That's not restful. And so the distance between this and this is pain. But I would rather have, right, the rest of the Lord to be where he is than fake rest without him where he's not. And I'm realizing that I have enough responsibility, enough stuff in my life to do that's good but painless that doesn't experience rest. Because rest... The table of the Lord is not found in the absence of enemies, but right in the middle of it. The thing that you're most scared of. The thing that's the hardest. The peace that you want is in the the cave that you're most afraid of. And you know it and I know it. And Jesus is calling us out. It's not because of our budget that we're stressed. It's because of alignment. It's because we're not saying who we are and being who we are and saying what we should do. We're not confronting. We're not engaging. He's saying, my table is wide open to you. It's in the presence of enemies. It's in the presence of the thing that you're afraid of. And so this is the final posture, I think, the resetting, the calibration. Look, if there's a table out there that he sets, do I want to be at a different table than his? If it's in the middle of my fear, it's in the middle of the thing that I'm most afraid of, it's in the middle of my grieving to finally accept the pain and, 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 and accept the rejection of the person that I least wanted me to, to reject me or whatever, like, if that's what it means to be at his table, do I want to be at a different table? So this is the final question. I'd love for you to, to share, um, and I'll invite the band forward as well as we kind of close up um, from the passage. But uh, this is my last question to you. Here's my question. Um, Who are the enemies? Who are the flies in the air? And here's the hint. They probably don't have a capital letter at the front of them. They're probably a lowercase fear and a lowercase regret and a lowercase anger and a lowercase trauma and a lowercase low-grade tension that you're experiencing that has nothing to do with how much money you have. Who are my enemies and where is the table? Because the choice, right, is, 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 to, is to be at his table in the middle of enemies or not at his table. And I'd rather be at his table. So let's share a little bit about that. We're going to close in prayer, and that'll be it for this morning. Uh, invite the band to come forward. Why don't we share for 60 seconds, and we'll pull it together in just a moment.
All right, I'm gonna close our time today by reading Hebrews chapter four, probably the perennial chapter that we could look to the scriptures to definitively define New Testament rest in the person of Jesus. Um, but uh, just in closing of, of just this time and just this series uh, to see that, you know, if you really did evaluate your life in the scriptures, that rest is way more than a beach trip for sure. And, uh, and that practice is definitely a part. Like, I definitely think that a person that practices something when they're not in stress and pressure and when, the, when it's on the line is more likely to do that posture when they're under stress. They're more likely to have muscle memory. So I'm not saying, I, I do believe that the scriptures teaches that the Sabbath is not a law. It is not a command, but it is a part of every Christian's life. And if we are workaholics and cannot say that our, 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 our yoke is easy and light and cannot say that we are walking with our shepherd in the field, then we should do everything, enter to every kind of faith and effort that we possibly could to practice for the posture, to practice so that my natural inclination is not abandonment, is not aloneness, is not inadequacy, but it's a sheep before the shepherd. It's a son and daughter before the Lord. And so this is the idea. I think it's available. Come, all who are weary and heavy laden, come and have rest. You know what? Here's the thing, though. There's always a ca- the cost, right? There's always the catch. You know what the cost is? The cost of Jesus' yoke is your yoke. The cost of Jesus' yoke, for me, is my yoke. It's my version of the dream that I want. It's my version of the practices that I think are going to get there. It's my version of who I think I am in the universe. And I will not find rest in my yoke. I can only find it in his. So here's what we're closing with. Hebrews 4. I think the words will speak for themselves. Let the Spirit speak to you. Um, Ashley will come forward for our time of uh, intercession and prayer this morning. Hebrews 4, let me read it, and then I'll be done. Therefore, he would say to the church, uh, since the promise of entering his rest is still standing, the party did not get canceled when we left it. It's still there. Let us be careful that none of you is found fallen short of it. For we have had the good news preached proclaimed to us just as they did, But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. There's a party. There's a song off in the distance. There's a different and a new way of life. And there are plenty of Christians, I think is what the passage is saying, that have the promise of God but don't live into it, that don't receive and believe in the power of of the spirits resting on us. And so we try to earn what we already have for free. I think that's very normal in the Christian life. So he's saying, don't do that. Verse three, now we who have believed, we get to enter the rest. Not just then, but now. Just as God has said. Not a cheap rest, a deep rest. So he says, so do I declare to my oath and anger that they shall never enter my rest. There it is. Remember, the reason why we're not in rest is because of sin. It's not because of your in-laws. It's because you don't believe God. That's why. And nothing will change that other than faith. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. The party is still going on for anybody that wants to enter for free. For somewhere, he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all of his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. You see, the Sabbath, it was never meant to be one day. It's all the days. The Sabbath is everything in its right place. And when Jesus Christ says, it is finished in my perfect work on the cross, what he's saying is, welcome to all the days of your life living in the Sabbath day. Holy, blessed, set apart. That's what your life is. Practice it. Walk in that posture. Six, therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day calling it today. It's right now. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, 
Do not harden your hearts. It's not on the other end of the easy payments. It's not on the end of the vacation. It's not on the end of eight hours of sleep when you catch up. It's today, right now. It's simply turning to the posture and saying, thank you for being my shepherd. Thank you for being my father. Verse 8, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day into the future. There remains then a Sabbath rest for everyone in this room. Everyone in this room is invited to the Sabbath rest today. Verse 10, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, not just their work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter this rest so that no one will perish by following the example of their disobedience. Thank you, Jesus, for your rest. I ask that your spirit would cause our agreement to turn to belief. I ask that you would change not just our ideas, but, Lord, our position, that, you would see, that we would begin to see ourselves the way that you see us and that we would posture our lives with our working and our resting the way that you posture us before your son. We thank you for this time uh, today. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.